Welcome to Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. You probably have a lot of curiosity about your family history, but not a lot of time. And that's why I created this podcast. In each episode, I'm going to give you the tools that you need to uncover your family tree in quick and easy ways. In today's episode, we are going to follow up on the powerful process for doing your genealogy research that we discussed in episode number 20, and that's called the Genealogical Proof Standard, or the GPS. The GPS process has been used for years by professional genealogists to ensure the quality, accuracy, and success of their research. And now you can use it too. This is the ideal time to start because it may save you from going back and having to redo some of your hard work later down the road. As you'll recall from episode 20, we got an overview of the GPS from Mark Tucker of the Think Genealogy blog. There are six steps on the process map. There's five steps of the GPS. Really the step that's implied in the GPS but isn't really stated is that we need to define our research goal or objective. Then you follow the GPS that says that you need to search in reliable sources. Then the next step of the GPS is that you're going to go ahead and cite your sources. Then we need to go into an analysis mode and we say, okay, this source is original derivative. We talked about that briefly before. This piece of information was from a primary informant, like a participant or an eyewitness. Somebody who was really there. Right, or secondary. It was passed on from somebody else. And if we can't come up with a good answer, we need to go out and find some more sources um, until we can get all those conflicts resolved. And then we can write a conclusion. It's, it's our conclusion at that point in time, and we can move on to something else. But if we find another piece of information, maybe we can open that case back up again and say, well, this strengthens this case, or actually this draws into question my previous conclusion. Well, in today's episode, I'm going to help you put these ideas into concrete action. And I have a downloadable free tool that will help you do the job. But first, we're going to head to the mailbox. I recently got the following email from listener Maria Romano and thought it was a good follow-up question to episode 12, where we covered Ancestry's family trees. Maria writes, I've been working on Ancestry.com for approximately six months now, and I love the portability. I can get on it at work, at the library, at home, all the time being able to do my research and have my materials in front of me instantly. When I signed up originally and created my account, I imported my JEDCOM file into Ancestry.com. Now that I have an extensive database, I'd like to be able to export my JEDCOM file from Ancestry.com and import it into my Family Tree Maker software. I've been unable to find the instructions to do this. I have no problems importing my JEDCOM to Ancestry. However, all my research may be stuck forever on their website if I cannot figure out how to export my JEDCOM file. My Family Tree Maker software will allow me many more print options and reports, and I'd like to take advantage of those features. I sent an email to Ancestry.com, but they clearly don't understand what I'm trying to do. Am I locked in forever to them? What happens when my Ancestry.com membership expires? Will I lose all of my research? Will I still be able to see it and refer family members to it? Thanks so much for your podcast. I'm learning so much. 
After my job and family, this is my new passion. Being a paralegal, research just runs in my blood. Well, Maria, thank you so much for writing in. You know, chances are you're not the only one who's had this question. Ancestry launched their family tree tool in July of 2006, and they added the GEDCOM export feature a little bit later in December of that same year. So here are the step-by-step instructions for how to export your GEDCOM family tree file from Ancestry to your computer. First, go to Ancestry.com and click the Family Tree menu tab. Next, under the My Trees tab, you'll see the name of your family tree. Right under it, you will see two links. One is View Tree and the other is Manage Tree. So click Manage Tree. On that page, you will see a box which includes Tree Name, Tree Description, and Management Tools. Next to Management Tools, click that link that says Export Tree. The system will ask you if you're sure that you want to export your tree, saying that it will take some time. Just click OK, and it should walk you through the process from there to save it onto your hard drive. Now, according to the Ancestry website, they encourage you to keep a few things in mind when exporting GEDCOM files. The export includes all relationships, facts, events, notes, sources, citations, repositories, and attached records. And that's all terrific. However, the export does not include the photographs and stories from your member tree, but it will include notes from a web address that will take you to those items on Ancestry.com. And even if you don't want to work on your family tree on your personal computer with a software program, I still think it's a really good idea to occasionally export your GEDCOM file since even Ancestry could have system problems. And ultimately, the data does belong to you. You know, a good rule of thumb is that you can never have too many backups. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for writing, Maria. Great question. Okay, well, coming up next, I'm going to give you a free tool that's going to help you implement the GPS process in your research, just like the pros. Wow, there was so much great stuff that Mark Tucker shared with us about the genealogical proof standard. And after listening to episode 20, you may have been wondering, yeah, but how do I start and how in the world do I keep track of all these steps that I'm taking with this research process? By now, you have probably tried to track down some information that didn't just pop up with the first search that you did on the Internet, but rather took some digging and perhaps some visits to your local family history center, public library, or archive. Well, all that digging is what I find really fun about family history research, but it has the potential to be overwhelming to keep track of so that you don't repeat steps that you've already taken, and you can keep your eye on the prize of what exactly you're trying to figure out. Wouldn't it be nice to have a worksheet that prompts you through the GPS process and helps you keep track of everything and stay organized? Well, I wanted something like that myself. And so I went out and I searched on the web and pretty much came up empty handed. I think we need more than just a blank form. 
We need and want a detailed worksheet that not only gives the area to record our findings, but also incorporates all the key areas of the genealogical proof standard so that we can be sure we aren't missing anything. And I've got just that for you. So before we go any further, you may want to take a moment, put this show on pause, and download the form from the website. Just go to genealogygems.tv and click the yellow family history box and go to episode 23. And in the links column on the right-hand side, you will see listed the example research worksheet. Just click on that and it will take you to the PDF file that you can save to your computer. So right now, if you can, press pause on this episode and download it so that you can follow along with me. But of course, if you're not at your computer, don't worry. You can always go back and review this episode once you get back to your desk. That's the beauty of podcasts, right? I love it. I will also have a link to a blank research worksheet for your use. But let's go over this example sheet so that you can see it in action. Okay, now, as you may recall, there were five key steps in the genealogical proof standard process. Now, I fashioned this worksheet to follow along with Mark Tucker's flow chart that you can find on his website. I'll have a link to that for you in the links section on the website in case you didn't download it when you listen to episode 20. So the first section of the worksheet is titled Research Objective, and each section is in gray on the worksheet. Before you tackle your problem, you need to have clear in your mind what it is you're trying to find out. Now, in this case, my research objective was to determine when and where my great-grandparents, Louise Nikolowski and Gustav Sporowski, were married. Now, keep your objective simple and specific. It's pretty easy to start incorporating all kinds of questions that you have into your objective, but in most cases, each question is really a separate objective. And certainly, for your first try in using the worksheet, you'll want to keep it clear and concise. The next section we have is the known facts section. You need to list what you already know, because that information will help you formulate your hypothesis. I've entered some suggested facts to consider. So for the Sporowski marriage that I'm trying to locate, I entered information about where they were living around the estimated marriage time, Uh, the people and associates that I know that they were in communication with, dates that I already have proven that certain events such as the Sprowski immigration occurred on, activities such as churches or groups that I know that they were involved with, historical context, which is an easy one to overlook, but it's worth the time to check timelines and history books for what was going on in the area within the time frame that you believe the event occurred. There's also a place to list any pertinent documents that you may have that provide clues. And in the case of trying to locate this marriage record, I added the category of births because I have confirmed the date and location of the eldest child's birth. And that gives me more parameters to work within. And in this section, you'll be entering not just the facts that you know, but the sources from which they came. This is key. Before you start trying to chase down new sources that may or may not exist, you will definitely want to review all the sources you currently have. I mean, think about it. 
Last time you looked at some of those sources, you probably didn't know near as much about the question or the people involved as you do now. And that means by taking the time to review each source, you may spot something important that you missed the first time around. So this section is helping you analyze what you already know, and it prompts you to do that all-important review before you move on. Now, I know you're getting anxious to get started researching, but there is another step in the process, and that is captured here on the worksheet. We need to formulate a hypothesis based on all these known factors that you've collected. In my case, I actually had two decent hypotheses based on the known facts. The first one was that the marriage occurred between 1899 and 1907 in Lutgen, Germany, which I based on the fact that I had documentation of Louise being a witness to a marriage in uh, 1898 in Lutgen-Dortmund, Germany, under her maiden name of Louise Nikolowski. The second hypothesis was the marriage occurred between 1899 and 1907 in Boer, West Germany. And that was based on the Sporowski's first child, Martha, being born there in 1907. Now we're ready to get to the fun stuff. We know the question, we've reviewed what we already know, and we've used that data to formulate a solid hypothesis. Now we move on to the next section, which is your research strategy. This is where you're going to brainstorm on where you're going to look for new evidence. Again, in my case, I thought I would start with the church registers where I found Louise listed as a marriage witness. I also thought I would call and interview my cousin Mary to see if she had any information. Um, she is the granddaughter of the Sprowskis. And then I thought I would try to find their naturalization records, which I didn't have yet, because I knew that they were married when they immigrated. And so maybe there would be a chance that the marriage would be listed on one of those records. Now, as you can see on the worksheet, each task is entered separately. And then as I completed the task, I entered the results. It turns out that the marriage records for Lutgen Dortmund, where I had found other family records, well, they didn't exist for the time frame in question. And my cousin didn't have any information. But keep in mind, it's just as vital that you record negative results as you do positive results. Now, I know I have confessed to you previously that I myself have fallen prey in earlier research days to hunting down a book and poring over it only to realize that I had already been through that very book the year before. <laughs> and it all adds up to wasted time. And of course, on this show, one of the assumptions I make is that you don't have endless amounts of time to do research, let alone go around and round in circles. And that means that we want to do things efficiently. So embrace this research worksheet. Now, when we come back, we're going to find out where I hit pay dirt and how the results are recorded. We are back and I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. And you're listening to Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. Okay, so I told you that I hit pay dirt, and it was the naturalization records that did it. I started with an online search, and I found records for both Louise and Gus that were indexed on the Madera County Gen Web site. 
I then went to the Madera County Courthouse and was given the opportunity to turn the pages of the huge old weathered naturalization book until I found the original pages signed by my great-grandparents. It was such a thrill to see and touch those pages that they signed so many years ago. As much as I love online research, there is really something special about being in the actual location where they took their oath of citizenship and have the chance to work with the book personally. I highly recommend it. So as you can see on the example research worksheet, I filled in the source type and the source citation that includes the date the records were filed, the location, the file number, and the website where I found the indexes online. You never know when you might need to go back and take another look as new information comes to light. And that's really what proper source citation is about. It leaves an accurate map for yourself and anyone else who comes along behind you so that the same exact trail can be retraced and the source is re-examined at any time. I mean, think of the role that source examination played early in this process. You just have to bank on the fact that down the road, another problem will need solving, and you'll be really thankful that you can easily retrace your steps and re-examine those important records. You know what the real estate agents say, location, location, location. Well, as a genealogist, our mantra should be documentation, documentation, documentation. And of course, the final section is final conclusion. If through your research steps, you were not able to prove a hypothesis or answer your research question, then you would start a new worksheet and repeat the process. In that case, you would enter the new worksheet number, which you'll assign at the top of the first page of the worksheet and enter that number in the, if not answered, continued on worksheet number, such and such column in the final conclusion section. And that way you can follow the path and connect the worksheets. If you did find the answer to your question and you've completed your happy dance around the room, then head back to your hypothesis and mark accordingly which one proved correct, if indeed it did, and which ones were disproved. Then go to the end of the worksheet and complete the section under answer to the question posed. Now, in my case, I stated the answer as succinctly as I did the question. I wrote, Gus Borowski and Louise Nikolowski were married July 8, 1905 in Lutgen, Dortmund, Westphalen, Germany. Then under the column, per source numbers, I filled in the number of the sources above that had proved my answer. And that way you just have a really quick reference when you look at that worksheet, what the bottom line was and which sources proved your answer. But as Mark said in episode 20, we want to write a sound, reasoned, and coherent conclusion of our research. This is a more thorough explanation than the simple statement that we gave in the answer column. So you'll want to write it on a separate sheet of paper and attach it to the back of your completed worksheet. In your conclusion, which is called a proof argument, you should, one, explain the problem that you started with. Number two, review the known sources which you identified on your worksheet. Three, present the evidence with some source citations and the analysis of those sources. Four, discuss any conflicting evidence. This is important because it may generate another search that needs to occur. 
or it could put to rest questions about evidence that on first glance looks kind of conflicting. And number five, finally, you're going to summarize the main points of your research and state your conclusion. And thanks to your research worksheet, you will have all the information you need to write that proof argument. But remember, there's no such thing as a final conclusion. New information could pop up that could throw questions onto your current conclusion. But at least if that does happen, your research process has been documented so that you'll be able to jump on it quicker and better informed and hopefully come to another solid conclusion. And wouldn't that be nice? So there you have it, a tool that is free to use and one that will hopefully set you free from chasing your own tail, so to speak. With the research worksheet, you're going to have your research strategy laid out and you'll be able to put it down when time runs out. And the next time you pick it up again, you'll know exactly where you left off. Ah, and wouldn't that be nice? You'll also have a comprehensive record of your research that will serve you well for years to come. And finally, you'll be able to rest in the knowledge that your research follows the GPS process. And that means it's solid research that you can be proud to share and hand down to future generations. And that is a wonderful legacy indeed. Oh, but one more thing. And you thought we were through. (laughs) I have another trusty form that I use quite often, and I want to share that with you too. Remember that telephone interview that I had to make to my cousin Mary for my research? Well, telephone calls you make and letters that you write to your relatives and to uh, county courthouses, they're all critical types of sources. And yet, once again, it's pretty easy to lose track of what you've already done and risk making mistakes or wasting valuable time. Well, I have a simple method for avoiding trouble when it comes to keeping track of letters and emails that you send out and phone messages that you leave for people, and it's called a correspondence log. You know, some inquiries can take quite a long time to be answered, and if you're like me, you may very well have forgotten what it was you asked them by the time you received the reply. So a correspondence log is a key tool that you'll need in your genealogy tool belt. I like to keep a separate correspondence log for each year. I keep them in a folder called Correspondence on my computer hard drive. Then I create a folder for each year within the correspondence folder. And I file not only the appropriate correspondence log there, but also copies of all the letters and emails that I sent out. You can also print out your correspondence log and have it for each research project. Just staple it to the back, and that way you'll have a record of what it was you did and who you contacted. I can't tell you how many times I was so glad to have that kind of backup. So to download a copy of the correspondence log, again, head to the show notes, for this episode, and you will find a link to it in the links column on the page for episode 23. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the show. You'll find the show notes for this episode, which include all the links I've talked about at my website, genealogygems.com. And there you'll also discover a lot more tips and tools for finding your family history in my podcasts, the blog posts, books, and videos. 
Become a Genealogy Gems Premium member and you're also going to get access to exclusive content like my full-length video classes and the premium podcast episodes. We have a new one of those coming out every month. Now, if you have any questions about this episode, or if you'd like to share your experiences on how the podcast has impacted your own family history journey, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 925-272-4021 and we might just play it here on the show. Thanks so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.